Good morning, faithful listener. You are listening to the Bible Explained podcast, where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and stay tuned as we read through the book of John. Happy, happy Tuesday, faithful listeners. It's officially Holy Week. And it's kind of funny because we're moving into what would be Holy Week in the book of John. This entire story that we've been talking about where Lazarus is going to be raised, we're going to talk about that today, is the few days leading up to the Passover. So this technically would have been Holy Week, I suppose, in Jesus's day. So yeah, we're pretty aligned right now with Holy Week. However, we will not be discussing Jesus's death and resurrection until like a couple months from now, because the book of John, out of all of the Gospels, talks the most about the days leading up to Jesus's resurrection more than any other gospel, basically. In fact, John goes into a lot of um, Jesus's prayers, Jesus's very specific prayers. But anyway, it's a beautiful day where I'm at today. I hope that it is a gorgeous day for you guys, too. It's actually 60, 60 something degrees and sunny here. This is the first really spring day I feel like we've had all year. So I'm excited about that. But I also want to say thank you to everybody who purchased an Alive coloring devotional, whether you bought a child's version or an adult version. I've sold more this year than I ever have in the past around Easter time. And I just want to say thank you so much because every purchase that you guys make helps this ministry to grow and helps the podcast also to continue to run. So thank you to everybody who purchased one of the Alive Coloring Devotionals. For those of you who didn't and haven't yet, they are available on Amazon. You can get them in a couple days. They're on Amazon Prime. And uh, yeah, you'll have it before Easter if you order now and you can do one by yourself or with your kids or you can just give one to your kids as a Easter basket stuffer. But let's get into scripture today. Let's talk about John chapter 11. We're going to be talking about Lazarus being raised from the dead. This is one of Jesus's most miraculous miracles. I mean, they were all miraculous, but this one was really something. And we're going to discuss why here in a moment. So let's read John 11 verses 38 through 57. We're going to finish out this chapter today. Make sure to grab your cup of coffee and your Bible and let's enjoy God's word together. Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see God's glory? So they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you listened to me. I know that you always listen to me, but because of the multitude standing around, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. He who was dead came out, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, free him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. The chief priests, therefore, and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What are we doing? 
for this man does many signs. If we leave him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But a certain one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is advantageous for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation not perish. Now he didn't say this of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day forward, they took counsel that they might put him to death. Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but departed from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim. He stayed there with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought for Jesus and spoke with one another as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he isn't coming to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had commanded that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. So the last couple days we've been talking about Jesus and how he responded to Lazarus's sisters. We know that Mary and Martha were both very sad. Both of them, in a way, kind of accused Jesus for not being there. They said, Lord, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. But Jesus responded to both of them very differently. He responded to Martha more, I would say more aggressively, testing her faith. And even in today's portion, what we just read, we kind of see that Jesus is still testing Martha's faith. But to Mary, he responded to her with his own tears. And we see that in verse 38, Jesus is still crying when he comes to Lazarus's tomb, which if you think about that, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of... I don't want to say silly. That's not the right word. But it was almost like it didn't make sense for Jesus to cry, if you think about it, because Jesus knew that he was going to open the tomb and Lazarus was going to be risen from the dead. So there was no reason, if you think about it, for Jesus to cry. But I think Jesus was crying not just to empathize with Mary, but also because we are kind of pitiful, if that makes sense. And I don't mean pitiful in a bad sense. Like we're, we're pitiful as in like people can pity us or rather Jesus can pity us because we, we don't have a lot of hope. And I think in this time period, perhaps people had less hope than we do today because Jesus hadn't conquered death yet. Jesus was almost crying with us and for us because of uh, just humanity in general having death having suffering, when none of that really needed to happen at all. People, in a way, brought death and and suffering and pitifulness on ourselves. But Jesus is pitying that. He's just pitying death in general and what Satan has done to the world as well. So it says in verse 38, Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. So he was still crying. He was groaning in himself. He was mourning in a way. He came to Lazarus's tomb and it was a cave and a stone lay against it. So this was a typical, typical kind of tomb. It was uh, typically a cave with a stone over top of it. Jesus said, take away the stone. So Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench for he has been dead for four days. 
Now, there's a very specific reason why Jesus waited four days to raise Lazarus from the dead. And that's because I found out with some research um, that the people in this time period actually believed that the spirit hung around the body for about three days. It was almost like kind of a superstition. And then the spirit would depart to wherever it departed. I think Jesus perhaps waited around for four days because now the body is beginning to decompose. In some people's minds, the spirit of the individual is gone, departed completely. So Jesus waits four whole days before he raises Lazarus from the dead. In other words, (laughs) Lazarus was very dead. (laughs) Jesus waits for four days. He tells the stone to be rolled away. Um, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, by this time there's a stench. He has been dead for four days. So Jesus says to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see God's glory? So he's reminding Martha of the conversation they had just had a little bit ago where Jesus was testing Martha's faith and reminding her that God's glory was near and that Lazarus would be raised from the dead. Now, Martha didn't actually believe that Jesus was going to fully raise Lazarus from the dead. She kind of took it more as a comfort of like, yes, I know that he is alive in the resurrection, basically. So Martha didn't understand. But now Jesus is challenging her faith once again. Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see God's glory? So he says, Martha, you are the one as the older sister. You have the right to tell the people to roll the stone away or not. I would guess also this is a step of faith for Martha because not only was it because Mary and Martha wouldn't have wanted that reminder, you know, when the tomb stone is rolled away, I I would guess it would be traumatizing for them to honestly smell the decomposition of their brother. That'd be horrifying. That'd be terrible. So, I mean, Mary and Martha... You can see why they don't want the stone rolled away for sure. But Martha trusts in Jesus and she orders the stone to be taken away. Or rather, she allows the stone to be taken away. And so Jesus, it says, lifted up his eyes and prayed this prayer. Father, I thank you that you listened to me. I know that you will always listen to me. But because of this multitude standing around, I said this, that they may believe you sent me. So Jesus did all of this to prove to all the people that were there, including Mary and Martha and all the multitudes that were mourning, that he was God. He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The other fascinating thing is that Jesus here didn't actually pray to God the Father so that Lazarus would like come out of the grave. He didn't even mention Lazarus's name. All he said to the Father was, thank you for listening to me. I know you will always listen to me. I'm doing this so that everyone here can believe in me. Then he commands Lazarus to come out of the tomb. So it says he came out, bound hand and feet with wrappings. His face was wrapped around with a cloth. So the wrappings and the dressings were still on him. And he was like hobbling his way out of the tomb, (laughs) completely bound. I would guess he was having some trouble walking with all that like stuff on him, probably having trouble breathing as well. 
because <laughs> his face was totally wrapped up with with cloths. And I mean, I'd guess they bound those things pretty tight, you know, because I think they put like spices and everything else in the, the, the bindings as well. After Lazarus comes out like hobbling out of the tomb, <laughs> Jesus has to remind the people standing there, free him and let him go. <laughs> They're probably like shell shocked. I mean, who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't be shocked to see this fantastic miracle? Jesus said to them, free him and let him go. And so they did. And it says in verse 45, I'm going to make this distinction here. It says, therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what Jesus did believed in him. So many of them. That would, I would guess that would be the majority of people who saw this miracle believed in Jesus. But in verse 46, but some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. So most who saw this believed in him, but some did not. There was a handful of Jews that saw this, uh, this miracle that decided to go to the Pharisees and basically tattle on Jesus which is absolutely preposterous after what they saw. This just kind of shows that some people are so set in their ways, are so comfortable with what they already believe in, that even God's power is not going to change their minds. Like a demonstration of signs and wonders from God is not going to change some people's minds. So if there's a person out there who you've been trying to evangelize to at all, and they're just not taking it. They don't care. They don't want to hear it. Just know that uh, don't beat yourself up too hard because if Jesus himself, who is God, can't get people to believe in him when he literally shows them a miraculous sign, yeah, don't beat yourself up. But I would suggest keep prodding at that person because you never know if they may change their mind in the future. But anyway, the chief priests get scared when they hear this and they believe it. I think they actually believe that this happened, that Jesus raised somebody from the dead. That is why this also is so fascinating. The Pharisees saw and knew that Jesus was doing miracles. How could they not believe in this? But they didn't. They didn't believe. They gathered a council and they said, what are we doing? For this man does many signs. See, they, they believe it. They believed the report that Jesus had literally healed a person from the dead, somebody who had been dead for four days. They believed it. If we leave him alone like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So here, right here, it's showing that this is pride. They were so prideful. They were so conceited about their own position and their own authority that they did not want Jesus to have any authority whatsoever. They were scared that the Romans would gain too much control if the people claimed Jesus as the Messiah. I wonder why they thought that, actually. That's an interesting, interesting question. I wonder why they thought that if the people believed in Jesus as the Messiah, that the Romans would conquer. Hmm. I don't know. I didn't look that up. Tell me what you think about that, actually. I'd be curious to have a little discussion about that. But anyway, a certain one of them, Caiaphas, being the high priest that year, said, you know nothing at all. 
Nor do you consider that it is advantageous for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now, he didn't say this of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. So Caiaphas, in my opinion, was not a good guy. Um, we'll, we'll find out later. Him being the high priest, he broke a lot, a lot of the high priest rules, a lot of the laws that God gave the high priest. Caiaphas wasn't a good guy, but he was able to prophesy. This is proof that even if somebody prophesies correctly, that you can't always trust that they are from God. There's actually a verse about that. You might be kind of confused about that saying. You might be thinking, well, Jen, like if somebody prophesies correctly, clearly they're from God. But there's a verse actually in Deuteronomy that says if somebody prophesies and that prophecy comes true, but yet they don't teach God and they don't follow God's laws and they teach something contrary to God, then you need to disregard that prophet completely. This is why the, the scriptures say to test the prophets, not just that their prophecies come true. That's only the first step. But the second step is after their prophecies come true, do they teach God and do they follow God themselves? So those are the two ways to know if somebody is, in fact, a true prophet, which is why I believe personally that there are very, very, very few true prophets alive nowadays. I think most of them are fakes. Maybe not all of them. I have not found one yet, though, that I can honestly say is not a sham. But um, moving forward, Caiaphas was able to prophesy correctly that Jesus would die for the nations and not just for the nations, but for the whole world. But Caiaphas himself was anti-God. So it says here, because of that day forward, because of Caiaphas, the high priest persuading them that they should kill Jesus. That's what the Pharisees decided to do. From that day forward, they took counsel that they might put him to death. So now they were determined to kill Jesus. They had tried to kill Jesus before. They wanted to kill Jesus before. They were unable to. But now they are absolutely determined, hell-bent on killing Jesus. That's what they wanted to do. So Jesus knew, Jesus knew after this uh, controversial healing that he had just done, or rather rising from the dead more so, Jesus knew that he was no longer able to openly walk around because of the danger that the Pharisees were going to cause him. He still had a couple more weeks, I would guess, before he was ready to die on the cross. So he stayed in this city which was near the wilderness called Ephraim. He stayed there with his disciples. So it says the Passover at the of the Jews was at hand. So that means it was about the same time of year as it is right now. <laughs> Around April, I would guess. But it says many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. So it was very common for the men to travel to Jerusalem every year for the Passover celebration, there would be many, many people who would do this. And Jesus also traveled to Jerusalem several times for the Passover himself. And so it says that uh, the people were searching for Jesus and speaking with one another. So Jesus was the talk of the town. And uh, don't forget that that during Passover, people from all over the world, like Israelites from all over would, would travel to Jerusalem. It was like 
tons of people flooding the city to celebrate Passover. So the people are like, do you think he's not coming to the feast at all? So it says that the chief priests and the Pharisees put out this notice. It says that they commanded that if anyone in the city knew where he was, they should report it, that they might seize him. To the Pharisees, this was the perfect opportunity to seize Jesus, to find him, because if travelers are coming from all over the world, all over the ancient world, to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, that'd be perfect. The perfect time for them to be able to find Jesus, because they don't know where Jesus is at. They don't know what city he's in. If they put out this notice commanding people to report where Jesus was, they were thinking, we're going to be able to find him. The funny thing is, Jesus is just going to come into the city by himself, (laughs) openly. (laughs) And I I think it's amazing because once he comes into the city openly, the Pharisees still couldn't do anything about him. It wasn't until Jesus was ready to die that that is when the Pharisees were able to succeed with their diabolical plans. Well, faithful listeners, I am so glad that you tuned into this episode and that you've been enjoying the Bible Explained podcast. Now, if you haven't checked out that YouTube channel yet, go ahead and do that because um, the video that I recently posted the other day has gotten quite a lot of feedback, a lot of it being very negative feedback. So I know I'm doing something right. So check out the YouTube channel, subscribe to it if you haven't yet. I will link that in the bio of the podcast episode. Guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I appreciate every single one of you. Don't forget that you can contact me if you want to. My contact information is linked in the description of this podcast episode. Send me a prayer request, introduce yourself, tell me where you live, tell me what the weather is, tell me your favorite color of coffee. Just introduce yourself. I love hearing from all of you guys, and I do see every message that you send me. I see it personally. It goes straight into my business email inbox. So yeah, you can do that. But anyway, guys, I will see you on the next episode, which is tomorrow. We'll be talking about the book of Deuteronomy. Until then, happy listening and God bless.